Um, all right, if you will, open up your Bibles or apps uh, to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. And again, we're just kind of spending this month going, what's the right way to read the Bible and to do so without missing its core message. If you weren't here last week, we kind of introduced this theme, um, and we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more today and for the next few weeks. Um, But would you be surprised if I told you that there's a non-Christian way to read your Bible? Like there's an un-Christian way to read your Bible. Um, And perhaps you wouldn't be all that surprised, because on one hand, we have to acknowledge that that's true because there are atheists or historians or people of other faiths who could easily pick up the Christian scriptures and and read them um, without any claim of knowing Jesus, and they could still read the Bible. So yes, of course, there's unchristian ways to read the Bible. But on the other hand, even as followers of Jesus, we can read the Bible in the same way that well-meaning Jews and Muslims could, and that could even be taught or read at synagogues or mosques. And maybe that surprises you a little bit more. Um, And so today, I just simply want to revisit a a truly Christian way, truly Christian way to to read our Bibles. Um, Last week, we introduced this series of conversations. And if you weren't here, we basically just said that that many Christians misread the Bible. And if we misread the Bible, we miss its true impact on our life. And, And just to catch you up, we discussed how, frankly, many Christians are not trained to read the Bible well. Um, and also how many of us just in our personal lives don't, frankly, statistically read the Bible all that much. And finally, we said, when we do, we read it in, quote, little bits. And then we ended with Jesus's own words, um, where he tells this group of of religious leaders uh, that to read the Bible rightly means looking through the words on the page, looking through those words to see Jesus, who is the living word. And so we camped out on this one verse for a little bit. It'll be up on the screen. It's in John chapter five. Jesus tells these religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But, or and, it is the scriptures that bear witness about who? About me, about Jesus. But you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the true life is not found in this book itself, but rather in Jesus, who is the message behind this book. And so we said last week's kind of a diagnosis. Here's here's the problem. And so starting today, we're going to kind of build toward a remedy and say, we've got to learn as, as followers of Jesus, we've got to learn to read the Bible in a way that we see the gospel, that we see the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the good news in every story, every command, every verse. So that's where we're picking up, just the fact that we can read the Bible but miss the gospel. And today we're going to see an unchristian way to read the Bible and a couple of principles for reading the Bible rightly every time and every verse, okay? So let me pray for us. Father, would you meet us and would you be our guide and would you help us to know how to read your words? And through your words, would we see your true message, your true word, and Jesus, the word incarnate. Teach us, we pray. It's in your son's name we pray, God. Amen. All right, so to start, we're going to consider an unchristian way to read the Bible. Um, again, last week we said that, that, that many Christians read our Bibles in, quote, little bits. Anybody think about that this week? Anybody notice as, as you went to, to your scriptures, if, if you read the Bible at all, and I hope you did, that, did you read it in a little bits kind of way? Um, 
theologians named Mike Goheen and Craig Bartholomew flesh out this idea, and they say it like this. It's going to be on the screen. Here's what they say. It's a little bit of a long quote. Stick with me. Many of us have read the Bible as if it were merely a mosaic of little bits, theological bits, moral bits, historical critical bits, sermon bits, devotional bits. You ever say one of those words that like it starts to mean nothing? Bits, 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 plan. Um, But when we read the Bible in such a fragmented way, we ignore its divine author's intention to shape our lives through its story. They continue, if we allow the Bible to become fragmented, it is in danger of being absorbed into whatever other story is shaping our culture. And the Bible will thus cease to shape our lives as it should. Now, idolatry has twisted the dominant cultural story of our secular world. And if, as believers, we allow this story, the story of the world rather than the story of the Bible, to become the foundation of our thoughts and actions then our lives will manifest not the truths of Scripture, but the lies of an idolatrous culture. Hence, the unity of Scripture is no minor matter. A fragmented or a little bits Bible may actually produce theologically orthodox, theological bits, morally upright, moral bits, warmly pious idol worshipers. In other words, what they're saying is that reading the Bible in in little bits misses the point of the whole story and and only informs you in the way that you kind of go looking for the Bible to mean something to you. And so to flesh out what they say, there's kind of five common ways that we can read the Bible wrong, and these will be on the screen as well. But the first is they say it's, it's looking for theological bits. Do you go to the scriptures just purely for study? Or, or do we go trying to, trying to figure God out? That's, that's, that's looking for theological bits. But any ology, the study of something, is, is inherently knowledge-focused. It's, it's just head-focused. And any study of something, think about this through like a scientific lens, you stay a little bit removed from the thing being studied. Does that make sense? And so you just want to know more about something. The Bible's theological, but, but it's also more than that. If you go to the Bible through this moral bits lens, what we go is sometimes seeking behavior change. This would be like reading the, reading the Bible like, like an Aesop's fable or some moral tale. If you do this, or if you don't do this, life will go better for you. If you do this, there's going to be some twist at the end. So the more moral you can be, the more God's going to love you, this kind of stuff. There is morality in the Bible, but the Bible's way more than that. And so some folks go just looking for historical bits. And, and to be clear, like it's good to grasp the original context in which a story or a command or a verse fits. But if we go too far and we just go to the Bible through this historical lens, what can happen is that we get to decide what applies today and what doesn't based on, well, that was then, or they had this other culture. Surely that can't mean the same thing today as it meant back in this time, that period, that country. Their history is different. We get to decide. And again, the Bible's historical, but it's also more than that. And so some of us go looking for devotional bits, this is the, the coffee mugs and wall hangings kind of reading of scripture. This is going to like seek some sort of inspiration 
or how can I kind of build myself up or even kind of catharsis, feel better about myself or get some sort of emotional boost. This reading of the Bible is kind of like a fortune cookie. I want to open it up and whatever it has for me that day, it's going to boost me up a little bit and get me through my day. I can do it. And the last one is that we read the Bible like a rule book. Uh, And we treat the Bible as if it's kind of New Year's resolutions. We make this list of things we know we should do or know we want to obey more, that kind of stuff. But in, in a lot of ways, if it's just a list of rules, it becomes empty obedience. The Bible will guarantee to fix my life if I can just willpower my way through whatever these verses say. These things make sense? Again, the Bible has rules. The Bible does speak to our heart, but, but there's so much more than that. So I want to make this a little bit tangible, and I want to look at this one passage today and then kind of invite us to think through this passage through these various lenses and, and go, okay, what, what would it look like if we just read Philippians 2 just purely for knowledge? What would it look like if we just read it purely kind of for devotion? So read with me Philippians 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. It'll be on the screen. God, through Paul, writes, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God's a thing to be grasped but rather made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born into the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, perhaps if you've been around churches or read your scriptures much, these may be a familiar words. This is, a, this is a beautiful Christ hymn celebrating the glory of Jesus. But as with any other passage, it's also one that can be read wrongly if we go to it just seeking one of these other lenses. So here's what I want us to do. Uh, we did table prayer already. We're going to have a little table conversation time. And if you're new to Salt and Light, we do this periodically because uh, we want to equip you and say, hey, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And so let's, uh, let's process this one with another. So uh, if we can put that other slide back up that had the, there you go, all the bits up there. Um, if you with your table will just decide, hey, let's look at it through this lens and then kind of go, what would we pull out? So going like, hey, if we, if we want to choose the devotional lens, look back through the verses and go, what's inspiring here? What what's kind of makes me feel good and builds me up, okay? Same thing with, with each of these lenses. I'm not going to assign you to tables or that kind of stuff, but um, just with your table, go, hey, let's choose this lens, chat about it for a little bit, just two or three minutes. Don't go uh, too, too, too detailed, and then we'll talk about it for a minute, okay? What do you see as you look through that lens at these verses? Ready? Go. All right, 
just like 30 more seconds or so. We wanted to make sure and give time to pray for kids, but we knew we'd shorten things up afterwards. Bring it back together in three, two, one, blast off. Okay. Um, all right. So before we kind of chat about this, I won't ask you to like raise your hand for each, but did you notice kind of, we talked about this at our table for a minute, like what your natural kind of bent is as, as you read the scriptures and, and thus what also might be not at all your bent. Um, you look at me like, man, I don't understand those people at all. Um, but you saw yourself a little bit. What did you see as your table chatted? We won't do every table, but what's something that, that came up? Which, which bit, what lens did you choose, and what's something that you came up with if you were to read this passage through that lens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of rules in this in this passage, right? And so a lot of the the mantra within this can be like, "Hey, if you do this, you can seek and attain perfection." What's the problem with that? It's impossible. And it misses the part about Jesus. Yeah, it misses Jesus. It misses Jesus. Yeah, it says these are things for me to do, right? Yeah, and, and anybody who's tried to follow any commands, much less multiples, knows what it's like to try and be like, oh, gosh, I, I was so close. Especially humility, because even if you could do it, you're like, oh, look at that. How humble am I? Oh, man. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, it, it's hard sharing and, and being selfish. It is hard to share and not be selfish. <laughs> That's the point. We have all these rules and all of us, no matter what age, resonate with what Piper said, right? It's hard to share and not be selfish. Any other tables? Moral lens, yeah. 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 Yeah, it can feel really defeating. Because um, there's a way to teach this or hear this and be like, oh, Jesus was humble. I should be humble like Jesus, which sounds like a great message, except that none of us can be as humble as Jesus. And, and yet the moral lens kind of says, if you do this good thing, look, God rewarded Jesus. He exalted him because of how humble he was. Maybe if I, re- maybe if I humble myself, God will reward me, probably not to the degree that he re- rewarded Jesus, but maybe God will do something nice for me as well. That, that's not the message of this verse, this passage. Anything else? Our table out? I don't know. <laughs>
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and you're bringing up a great point. This is why, like, for each of these, we're like, hey, but there is theology here. There are rules to follow. So we're not, we're not swinging the pendulum so far that it's like, hey, don't, don't see this. But if all we were to do was just purely be looking for devotion or inspiration, then kind of, I'm going to stereotype this a little bit, but it's kind of the focus on, like, Jesus was willing to give up heaven for me. And because of his love, I can do anything today is, is kind of how of, of specifically just devotional, inspirational. It's, the, it's the, the, the wall hanging that says, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. And like there's some truth in that. But if it's just that without all the layers to it, that's taking that verse out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I get to feel good and overcome certain things based on the fact that all this happened to Jesus. So any negative thing that's happening to me now, right. I'm gonna get like a reward later on. Yeah, yeah, it kinda of pushes away anything negative and doesn't let you embrace what's really going on sometimes. Even theological, like there's there's rich theology here. Like you see inner Trinitarian dynamics and like Jesus' three step process of humility and you can kind of fi- you can figure out more about God, and so again, there's a le- level to which reading through all of these lenses has a place. But the danger is if we just read to make myself feel good, or just read to make myself know more. There, that's where the danger comes in. And, or to say it another way, the the biggest problem with reading the Bible in any of just these ways is that it puts the focus all on me. How much can I know? What can I do? What are the actions I need to follow? How do I feel? How able am I? Does that make sense? But y'all, the core message of the Bible is not about me. And and no joke, I've, I've heard Philippians 2 taught in all of these ways, but the danger of of any of these. It puts the focus on us, but the core message of the Bible is not about me. That's what I mean when I say there's an unchristian way to read the Bible, because what's missing from the Bible if the Bible's all about me? God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God's work, God's will, God's salvation, God's power, God's ability, God's story. Man, we, we walked through Exodus for the first half of the year, and if, if you weren't here, then, then just to catch you up, like it was all about look at this redeeming God. And yeah, there's some stuff for Israel to do as they followed him, but the focus was on God doing what only God could do. To say it another way, like you, you may hear that the general story the Bible tells, we'll come back to this next week, but the general story the Bible tells goes creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If you haven't heard that again, we'll dive in next week, but for salt and light, that's kind of a familiar pattern. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Something's good, it becomes broken, something intervenes to fix it, and then it's made right again. If the Bible focuses on me, 
What's removed? Very often it's that redeemer, God. It's the redeemer. It's, it's the, our need for Jesus, our need for God to come in and do what we can't. And so the, the story the Bible starts to tell then is creation, fall, restoration. Something was good that became broken. You better go fix it. Something was good that became broken. You better do more. You're sinful. You have to do this to fix yourself. And so this is why I say we can read the Bible in a way that, that Jewish and Muslim friends could and that could be taught in a synagogue or mosque. Because if you, if you came out of either of those traditions or if you know someone who does, you would know that, that Jews and Muslims, many of them, most of them, believe that Jesus was a good prophet. He's a good teacher. He's a good example to be followed. But for both of those traditions, the power and ability to do any good, to obey any teaching is all on the person. It would be all on us. And that's what I want to submit, church, is an unchristian message. It's not all on us. Instead, what's the core of the Christian message? It's that we can't, but God did. This will be up on the screen. We are unable, but the Spirit empowers us and makes us able. The core of the Christian message is that we need a Redeemer. We need that third act of the story. We need someone to intervene to do what we can't do. And you know who that person is? It's Jesus. That's the Christian way to read our Bibles. It's not a way that says work harder, do more, but rather realize that it's not about you. Realize our inadequacy and our inability and in that turn to Jesus, who alone will do in us and through us by the power of his spirit what we can't do without him. Does that make sense? It's reading the Bible in a way that every command, every story, every verse shows us God and his nature often contrasted with us and our nature. Let me simplify this and say it another way. Um, in our household, we've walked through the New City Catechism with a couple of our kids. If you're unfamiliar with catechism, it's just a simple series of questions and answers to kind of instill basic theological truths. And, and there, there's some for adults, some for kids. The New City Catechism is is one for kids. And there's one question in the New City Catechism that says, what does the law of God require? And the answer is, the law of God requires that you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's pulled straight from the scriptures, but raise your hand if you've done that. All the time, every time, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself all the time, Zero hands go up, except for some kids, but that's okay. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> the next question then goes, since the, uh, sorry, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And, and just to tie these things together, where do we primarily find the law of God? It, it, it's in the Bible. So can anyone keep the Bible? Can anyone follow the Bible? Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And the answer is, no, since the fall... You're singing the answer right now. Um, that's not distracting. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. Since I know it is. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. And on one level, we go like, oof. But on another level, we're like, no, that's true. I know that to be true of me. 
and definitely my friends. <laughs> and it's actually good news because a later question in the catechism reminds us of this right lens to read the Bible through. The question says, since no one can keep the law of God perfectly, what is its purpose? And the answer is that the law of God, or again, in other words, the Bible, shows us the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts, and hear me, thus shows us our need for a Savior. No one can keep the law of God perfectly. No one can follow the Bible perfectly. That's good news because in the scriptures, we see who God is and see who we are. And if we're honest with ourselves, it drives us back to Jesus. The Christian way to read the Bible points to the gospel. And, and, and so you can flesh this out this week a little bit at home. There's, there's a lot of Christian ways to read Philippians 2 and every verse of the scriptures but it starts and ends with and points to Father, Son, and Spirit, not people. Reading Philippians 2 rightly in a way that starts and ends with and points to Father, Son, and Spirit, not people, just as a few glimpses into this, it points us to Jesus and his life as the one perfect example of humility that we will never attain. Jesus alone in all of history obeyed and reflected God's will perfectly. Jesus did that. We can't, but he did. Jesus' death paid for our sin, which includes our lack of humility, for the record. And so when, not if, I fail God's standards and his rules, when I'm not humble like Jesus was, I get to rest in God's already given forgiveness that happened through Jesus' own humility and his death. A Christian way to read this reminds us that Jesus' resurrection ushered in a new life. We see in these, in these verses that Jesus was exalted. And he sent the Spirit to live in you and empower you to increasingly become like him. And so over time, God will grow your humility. And God will turn you away from self-reliance. And God will teach you to rely on him and abide in him and trust in him. But, but it's not you who are able to conjure that up in yourselves. As the Spirit makes you humble, the Spirit produces fruit in you. So it's God's power, not yours, by which you obey. Is that good news? Is that freeing? And then Jesus' reign that we see in these verses, his reign is king forever and also now. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Like that's, that's the only motive for and that's the only power for your humility. We get to rely on a good king. He's a better king with a better kingdom. And his promise is that one day all brokenness, including our pride, including our lack of humility, all of that will be gone. And one day we will be able to fulfill every command in Philippians 2, as we live fully, eternally under his kingship once God has perfected us. Does that make sense? That's if, we're, if we're looking through the words on the page to, to the capital W word, Jesus, the incarnate word, then that's a Christian way to read our Bibles. It points us to Jesus, not toward ourselves. It lets us celebrate his work 
rather than conjure up things that we know we'll try and fail at. Make sense? All right, so, so today's heady and philosophical. I recognize that. Um, it's, it's intentionally so. Because whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, every now and then it's good to just pause and think deeply about why we do the things we do, right? But, but I want to close with three just quick, tangible steps to help us implement these principles every time we read the Bible this week. And I would encourage you, go read the scriptures this week. Even if you're out of habit, summer vacation's over. Jump back in. Um, Your kids have to go to school. You can spend 10 minutes reading your Bible. Um, I hope you do read your Bible this week. But there's a couple things you can do, even if it's the first time in a long time. We'll explore them all a little bit next week, but, but practice this week, whether Old Testament, New Testament, history, poetry, whatever it may be. There's, there's three lenses to look through. They'll be on the screen first. Read the Bible as God's story. If you remember what, what Goheen and Bartholomew said in that quote at the beginning, everyone has some story that dominates their lives. Y'all, the Bible is God's story. And if we see it as such, it can become the story that also will dominate your life. And so as you read the Bible this week, rather than look for little bits that mean a lot to you or about you, instead read read the Bible as if it's God's story and look for what it says about God even more than what it might say to you. Again, more on that next week. Second, though, read it looking for the place that you fit in God's story. Know where you fit in God's story. In in a lot of the kind of little bits readings of, of, of the Bible, Followers of Jesus try to place ourselves in the commands, and we try to place ourselves in the story and be, who, who would I be? And we'd always be like, oh, of course I'd be the hero. Of course I'd be the David. Killed Goliath. Surely I'm like the good character, not the bad character. But, but if we read the Bible honestly, if it's God's story, then we can ask, what is true of the people in these verses, and would that also be true of me? And while there are some good examples to follow, I think what you'll see most often is that the people in the verses are imperfect. So so guess what? We we probably are too. And they're needy. And guess what? We probably are too. And and, and they're dependent, just, just like us. Read it as if it's God's story and then know where we fit in that story. And then finally, if we read the Bible as it's God's story and if we're honest about our imperfection, then in our heart and our mind, we're ready for this third step, which is where we'll close. See Jesus as the hero and the redeemer. It, it's, it's easy in Philippians 2 to go, of course, it's, 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 it's this Christ-exalting reality. But the same thing is true for every story, every command, every verse of Scripture. There's a lot of talk out there in some of the circles that our church exists in about seeing Jesus as the hero of every Bible story. And to that we would say, yes, Absolutely. But again, a lot of folks would look to Jesus and be like, yeah, he's a good example. He's absolutely, we should be like him. He is our hero, our model, our example, but he's also more than that. He's our redeemer. He's the one who intervenes and comes in and does what we can't. He's the perfect fulfillment of every command. He's the true and better hero of every story. He's the very strength and power that we have for fruit in our lives and for any heart change and for any reconciliation and any ability to obey. 
And so what would it look like if we read this week, looking for Jesus, not just as an example to follow, but also as the fulfillment and the redeemer of every story, every command, every promise? Because the Bible points to him. So more next week, but practice this week. When you read the Bible, read it as God's story, know where you fit in the story, and look for Jesus as the hero and redeemer. And as you do, I can almost promise you, to quote John the Baptist, you will decrease and Jesus will increase. And the Bible will be about God and not you. And you'll read the Bible as God intended it to be written. You'll find a Christian way to read your Bible. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, would you uh, do this in us? Because even as we come to your scriptures, we need your spirit to guide us. We can't understand it without you. And so we need you to open our eyes. We need you to, to, to reveal the message of God to us. We need you to help us kind of break old habits even and step into new ones. So would you meet us across our church, across our cities, across ages, across spectrums as we go to your word? Would you help us see you through the words that you inspire to be written? For your glory alone, amen. Before we sing, there's uh, communion on the table, and this is one way that we see Jesus and declare him to be both hero and redeemer. Um, and so the way we do this here is we take the bread and we dip it into either the juice or the wine. The wine is red, the juice is purple. Um, and for anyone who follows Jesus, this is a reminder that we need someone to do what we can't. And as we take the bread and we dip it into the juice or the wine, or if you have one of the individual cups, as you peel back the top layer and take the bread-ish, and as you take a sip of the wine-ish, uh, then, then what we're reminded of is we need something outside of ourselves to come into ourselves. And so take the bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Can we say amen? And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and eat and take and drink.